This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Welcome to Plated Earth, where we share at least a fraction of the crazy, wonderful, and insightful stories of produce. I'm your host, JJ. Plated Earth is also the official podcast of the Specialty Produce app. Please show your support for us and Specialty Produce by downloading the app and exploring one of the globe's most comprehensive fresh food databases. So what's on our plate today? Kale. Kale, yeah, the time has finally come to talk about the celebrity of so-called superfoods, kale. While kale may have only recently started trending on Twitter, it is actually one of the oldest forms of cabbage, native to Eastern Mediterranean or Asia Minor. It has been in cultivation for so long, dating back over 2,000 years, and has been so spread across prehistoric traders and migrating tribes that it's hard to pinpoint the exact region of origin. It was grown by ancient Greeks and Romans and was one of the most widely eaten green vegetables in the Middle Ages throughout Europe. Here in the U.S., we can thank our friend David Fairchild, agricultural explorer for the USDA in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, for our kale chips and green juices. Fairchild is specifically credited with the introduction of kale, mangoes, avocados, dates, nectarines, soybeans, and pistachios to American farmers. Over its long history, kale has always been an important staple in people's diets during trying times, and its production was especially encouraged during World War II, when food rationing was rampant. This is mainly because kale is dependable, it's very easy to grow, and it can handle cold temperatures. In fact, a good fall frost or mild cool winter can actually impart a high sugar content and fine flavor into the kale plant. So when times are tough, things are bad, you can still count on your good old friend kale to be around. And it doesn't hurt that it's packed full of vitamins and minerals to help sustain you through those trying times. But we'll dig a little deeper and get to the root of some of its nutritional myths a little later. First, we need to get reacquainted with our dependable old friend. Kale is a member of the mustard family, also called the cabbage family. It's a variety of Brassica oleracea, known as a cephala, meaning without a head. As its botanical name implies, kale is a non-heading, leafy wild cabbage that comes in a range of colors, shapes, and sizes. Different cultivars are classified by differences in their stem length and in their leaf structure. Some are flat and others are frilly. The standard kale variety we usually find in the grocery store is pale to deep green with large, frilly-edged leaves and long stems. It is hardy and fibrous when fully mature, and tender enough to be used as a raw salad green when young. The pale green stems are tough and typically removed, while the tightly curled leaves are chewy yet succulent. Depending on the variety, kale can sometimes be spicy, other times a bit sweet, and usually slightly bitter. In general, kale offers an earthy flavor, with a nutty sweetness that is accentuated when cooked. As I mentioned, kale is essentially a form of primitive cabbage. You may remember from our Food Buzz History of Cabbage, episode 44, if not, go back and check it out, that over the last few thousand years, this one plant, wild cabbage, also called wild mustard plant, 
was selectively bred to create entirely different crops. Although they're all the same species, these crops are cultivars, shorthand for cultivated varieties, bred to have desirable qualities for different purposes. They're separated morphologically, aka by their form and structure, based on just a few gene differences, and are classified according to the plant part being consumed. So, over time, farmers selected and bred the wild cabbage for different characteristics, such as large terminal leaf buds, hello head cabbage, lateral leaf buds, hi Brussels sprouts, large flower buds, hey cauliflower, stems, what's up kohlrabi, flower buds and stems, we see you broccoli, and of course, large leaves, kale yeah. Both curly-leafed and flat-leafed varieties of cabbage existed in Greece by the 4th century BCE. These forms, which were referred to by the Romans as Sibelian kale, are considered to be the ancestors of modern kale, which evolved over time into what we see on our grocery shelves today. Like I said, the most common variety we see now is curly kale, which is deep green in color, but other varieties can be blue-green, yellow-green, white, red, or purple, with either flat or ruffled leaves. For example, there's Lacinato kale, also nicknamed dinosaur kale, Tuscan kale, or cavallo nero, meaning black cabbage. This Italian variety has dark, blue-green, rumpled, non-curly leaves, which kind of look like dinosaur skin, hence its nickname dinosaur kale, and it was grown by Thomas Jefferson in his garden at Monticello. Then there's purple kale, with cultivars like red boar, which is both ornamental and edible, and is known for its stunning deep violet color. Another widely grown variety is Siberian kale, known to be one of the most cold-hardy, not too surprising with the name Siberian. But okay, Siberian kale is actually a different species than most other kales that are derived from Brassica oleracea. Instead, Siberian kale is classified as Brassica napus, still in the same mustard cabbage family, although it is actually more closely related to rutabagas than other kale types. Baby kale is simply a term for the delicate leaves of a young, immature kale plant. Almost any kale variety can be harvested at this young stage, when the leaves are more mild and tender, though still hardier than most lettuce varieties. Considering its many forms and stages of harvest, kale is an incredibly versatile green in the kitchen. Young kale leaves add an earthy flavor to raw salad green mixes, and fully mature kale is one of the few leafy greens that doesn't shrink much when you cook it. It's great sautéed, roasted, stewed, and even baked into kale chips, which have certainly become a trendy treat as of late. Just be careful not to overcook kale, as it can develop a more bitter taste. Kale is also often added raw to smoothies and juices. However, it is important to note that you shouldn't overdo it with raw kale. Most of us are fine if we stick to modest amounts, such as a handful even on a daily basis. But like other cruciferous vegetables... Kale contains small amounts of substances that can affect the function of our thyroid gland. These substances become inactive with cooking, so if you have existing thyroid problems, then it's best to stick to cooked kale. To prep for use, whether raw or cooked, first remove the tough and fibrous stems. A quick and dirty way to do it is to hold the stem in one hand and strip the leaves along the stem away from you. You can also cut the leaves into thin, confetti-like ribbons. A quick massage can help the process of breaking up the cellulose structure of kale. You can drizzle it with olive oil, salt, and lemon juice, and rub the leaves together in your hand to get a slightly sweeter, much silkier kale. In today's world of superfoods, kale has risen in the ranks of stardom, 
the Beyonce of the farmer's market. And it's often praised as the most nutrient-rich of all the leafy greens. Well, I hate to kale your vibe, but that's actually a myth. Yes, kale does have plenty of benefits. It's rich in antioxidants, packed with vitamins A, E, K, and B, especially folate, and has more vitamin C than other leafy greens. It's high in fiber, has more calcium, gram for gram, than a cup of milk, and has a fair amount of protein and iron. Researchers have even found that the phytochemicals in kale may inhibit cancer cell growth. Still, it's actually not the quote-unquote healthiest green on the block. The truth is, spinach, romaine, parsley, and even beet greens pack a bigger, nutrient-dense punch than kale. Again, not to say kale isn't a good choice. Of course it is. But along the tangled lines of information telephone, from research journals, to news, to TV, to hearsay, to marketers, to your coworkers, to your own mom, the idea of a superfood may have snowballed some exaggerations. Some food experts might even argue that there is no such thing as a superfood, and in a sense, they'd be right. Kale won't save your life on its own. There's no single magic bullet cure-all. But there are fruits and vegetables that can actually make you feel pretty super when incorporated into your diet. So of course you should eat your kale, or your spinach, or your celery, along with other things. There's pretty good evidence out there that a balanced diet with plenty of fruits and veggies will help you live a long and healthy life. And eating a variety of fruits and veggies can provide greater nutrients than hyper-focusing on getting one food item into our diet. Changing our lifestyle by creating and maintaining a healthy dietary pattern, now that's how to really get that super feeling. Additionally, there are so many nutrient-rich vegetables, so many superfoods as we like to call them, that you will survive even if kale is not one of the items that hits your plate or juice or smoothie. There should be no shame in the superfood game. It's okay to love kale, and it's even okay to hate it. So, what's on your plate? Well, folks, that concludes this week's episode. As always, you can find more information, recipe ideas, and local market shares on the Specialty Produce app. Tune in next time for more food fables. And remember, cauliflower is nothing but a cabbage with a college education. We'll catch you next time.